Hi, I'm Simon Cohen, and welcome to the Biology Pod, a show about all sorts of things biological. So it's time to make yourself a cup of tea, settle down in a comfy chair, and let's learn biology. So welcome to podcast number two. And before I get going, I just want to first say thank you to all those people who responded to podcast number one. One of you pointed out a couple of mistakes that I made. The first thing, apparently, in podcast number one, is I used the word organ in one place when I meant to say organelle. Podcast number one was about those little bits and cells, organelles. No organs were mentioned, although the Hammond organ of Jimmy Smith was featured. So thank you for pointing that out. And also, I apparently said that chloroplasts can be found in plants and also in cyanobacteria. I didn't mean chloroplasts. I meant, say, chlorophyll. Chlorophyll is in chloroplasts, in plants, but in cyanobacteria, there aren't chloroplasts. In fact, there aren't any organelles because they're prokaryotic cells. So again, a slip of the tongue there, which just goes to show how careful you have to be with your language in biology. A couple of good spots there, and it's good to know that at least one of my listeners is cooking with gas. So it's really nice getting some feedback, whether it's correcting my mistakes or asking questions. Otherwise, of course, I'm just sitting in a room twiddling with my dials. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. So let's get going with cell membranes and communications between cells. And I think this would be one of those good times in biology when you had a diagram. So I'm posting a diagram with this podcast as cover art. If you can't get cover art on your MP3 player, this same diagram is going to appear on my blog. And there's also an excellent diagram if you're using the Heinemann Biology 1 text Uh, which is the textbook I'd recommend, on page 58. If you haven't got a diagram in front of you, don't worry about it. I'm sure there's one in your textbook, and you'll be able to have a look at it later, and then you'll realise what I've been talking about, and hopefully the penny will drop. The fluid mosaic model says the structure of the membrane is composed of a phospholipid bilayer with a number of proteins in it. So, let's start. What's a phospholipid? Well, lipids, you remember, are fatty substances. Like all lipids, they're composed mainly of carbon, hydrogen and oxygen, but they're not in, that's not in the same proportions as carbohydrates. They're not in those ratios of one carbon to two hydrogens to one oxygen, which are the, the common sort of proportions in a carbohydrate. There's a lot less oxygen than that. And what makes them phospholipids? is the presence of the phosphorus in the uh, glycerol head. And hanging from that head, or attached to that head, are a couple of tails of high, uh, largely of carbon and hydrogen. They are fatty acid tails. So the, these phospholipids that are in the membrane of cells have a circular head with a couple of tails attached. And the heads are hydrophilic. That means they like water or they attach to water. Uh, they uh, they attach to the polar charge in water or water attaches to them. 
where the tails are these uh, fatty acids and they repel water. They're hydrophobic. They don't like water. They have a phobia for water. Hydrophobic. There's a hydrophilic head and a hydro uh, two hydrophobic tails. This means that the cytoplasm inside the cell, which is mainly water, is attracted to the heads and not the tails. So what we get is a layer of facing the inside of the cell. We get a layer of heads with the tails pointing out. And then the tails are attached to another lot of tails with their heads facing out. So we've got a, a bilayer. We've got two layers and of the, the heads. And in between the two layers of the heads are all the tails. Based in that uh, that fluid uh, layer or those double those two fluid layers to stop them all sliding around and keep them in place a little bit there's a number of cholesterols and the cholesterols serve just that function they just maintain a little bit of stability they're in the way and they stop them the round heads slipping past one another the other really important uh, molecules that you find within membranes are proteins some proteins are actually stuck to the surface of the membrane they're on the outside of the membrane and it used to be thought that this is what happened to all proteins in membranes all proteins in membranes were stuck to the outside but now we know that some of the proteins actually are embedded within the, the phospholipid layers and some actually go all the way through and provide channels connecting the two together and of course they also by going all the way through are providing some some strength some stability to the membrane and it's hard at year 11 level to overemphasize the importance of these proteins because the membranes they what they exist for is to control the environment within uh, our cells and within some of the organelles uh, to maintain so that the right chemical reactions can take place for life to occur and the proteins which, which facilitate much of the transport across the membrane and they also they also have receptors in the proteins which communicate with other cells they have little little flags if you like which they wave to the other cells so that they recognize one another and so the proteins are important in these these cell-to-cell -cell junctions that we're going to be talking about in a bit but before i do i'm just going to go through membrane permeability that's getting stuff into and out of or across these membranes and there's, there's several mechanisms that uh, allow materials through membranes or by which materials pass through membranes. So I'm going to split them into two. The first one being passive transport, that's transport across the membrane down a concentration gradient that requires no energy input, and active transport, which is where you're transferring to increase the concentration of something. You're moving up a concentration gradient, and to do that you need energy. It's like water flowing flows downhill without energy but to go uphill it's got to be pumped so the easiest thing to get across our phospholipid bilayer is something which is actually soluble in lipids because then the lipids aren't going to prevent any barrier and it at all it will just pass straight through and a good example of this is alcohol alcohols soluble in lipids it has no trouble at all passing straight through the phospholipid bilayer into your cells or into your organ your membrane bound organelles another sort of passive transport is with small molecules 
some small molecules can just go through the gaps between the uh, phospholipids and just squeeze their way through the little holes if, if they're small enough and i'm talking here about things like oxygen molecules they're they're small enough just to get through those gaps by themselves again it's a passive transport it's going down a concentration gradient the substance isn't expending any energy to do it and this process is known as diffusion okay so diffusion is is particles spontaneously moving from an area of high concentration to one of low concentration you can see this when you put your orange squash into a glass of water you put that little bit of cordial into the glass of water and just leave it it will diffuse it will spread around to make the concentration e uh, even you won't have to put any energy into it so small ions carbon dioxide oxygen can move across the membrane via diffusion some particles however are too large to go through uh, using normal diffusion they won't actually fit through the gaps so larger molecules such as glucose for instance your cells need glucose for respiration but to get the glucose into your cell that glucose is too large to diffuse through the membrane itself the phospholipid bilayer and it's not soluble in phospholipids so how does it get there well it gets there through a process known as facilitated diffusion and facilitated diffusion again is going down a concentration gradient and isn't requiring any energy but it's helped through by special trans proteins these have little channels that they can go through they effectively uh, provide little holes for larger molecules to pass through the last sort of passive diffusion i just want to mention is the diffusion of water and this has got a special name it's called osmosis sounds a bit like a nasty skin condition doesn't it he's got osmosis now osmosis is the is the diffusion of water across a membrane and it's passive so it's going from a high concentration of water if you like to a low concentration of water and we have a, a word that describes which way it's it's going it's tonicity so something's hypertonic means that it's got a high solute concentration and hypotonic means it's got a low solute concentration now you're not going to wouldn't be expected to use the word tonicity hypertonic or hypertonic or hypotonic uh, at year 11 but you certainly would be expected to understand that osmosis is the diffusion of water. Okay, so that's passive transport. Transport that doesn't require energy that goes down a concentration gradient, whether it's diffusion, facilitated diffusion of larger molecules, or osmosis, the diffusion of water. Transport up a concentration gradient requires energy and this energy comes from atp so what happens is that your uh, substance that needs to be transferred across comes up to the to the cell membrane and a special carrier protein binds to the substance shuffles around or turns around within the uh, membrane layer and then releases it the other side now there's one more type of of transport across a membrane that we have to deal with at year 11 and that's where we're transporting macromolecules these are molecules too big for active transport or facilitated transport by the normal transport proteins through a membrane 
So what happens here is the material comes up to the membrane wall and the membrane wall then folds around it and forms a little bubble of membrane wall. The uh, membrane wall reforms on the other side and this bubble passes through. And this bubble's then got a membrane itself around what you're trying to pass through the wall. It's effectively become what's known as a vacuole. So uh, this is, uh, we, we saw this, for example, when we were looking down microscopes at amoeba and the amoeba eating, we could see the pseudopodia going out and then wrapping round little things in the solution uh, eating. And that's called phagocytosis, cells eating. There's also penocytosis, which is cell drinking. But those two words, phagocytosis, penocytosis, you probably, uh, well, you'll probably come across them. You've just come across them again because I've just said them. You probably won't be expected to know them at year 11. But what you do have to know is that this, both these processes together are known as endocytosis. That's E-N-D-O cytosis, endocytosis, like entering cytosis. It's a way of large macromolecules entering a cell. The same thing happens in reverse. A vacuole of waste products, perhaps from the Golgi apparatus, goes up to the membrane and then the membrane of that vacuole integrates itself into the outer membrane in such a way that the waste product is now on the outside of the cell. And that process is called exocytosis, E-X-O cytosis, which is uh, exiting cytosis, if you like. So you'd be expected to understand this, this uh, the difference between endocytosis and exocytosis, this movement of larger molecules, macro particles across a membrane. And that's an awful lot to remember, isn't it? We've, we've so far dealt with a diffusion through a membrane that's diffusion straight through a membrane without any trouble at all of lipid soluble molecules diffusion through holes in the membrane uh, for smaller particles for larger particles who can't fit through those holes in the lipid phospholipid bilayer they there are protein channels that facilitate their diffusion that's facilitated diffusion Water molecules going from an area where there's a very concentrated uh, amount of water, in other words, a very dilute solution, to an area where there's a very dilute amount of water, in other words, a very concentrated ionic solution. Now, to dilute down that ionic solution, that's known as osmosis. And we've also looked at active transport and energy requiring activity to get protein, uh, uh, by proteins to get molecules in, into a cell to increase the concentration of them. And now we've looked at another energy requiring process where we're moving macromolecules across a cell being endocytosis or exocytosis depending on whether we're moving things in. So that's quite a lot to remember. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to take a quick break and you can have a pause, have a cup of tea and, and then unpause the tape, come back and we'll talk about communication between cells.
Well, welcome back, and I hope you enjoyed your cup of tea as much as I did. Now, multicellular organisms are made of multiple cells, and those cells have to be able to communicate with one another so that they can work as teams of cells, as organs, and they also have to be stuck together. Otherwise, you'd just be a pile of cells on the floor. And what I want to do is finish off this podcast quickly by talking about communication between cells and some of these junctions between cells. And the first thing I want to say is that within a cell, there is a framework. It's a a rigging, if you like, or a scaffolding of proteins that string across the cell, anchored to the different sides of it, to maintain its, its shape and keep the organelles in the right places. Now, this is known as the cytoskeleton. And at year 11, you are not going to be asked to learn all the different types of proteins that form different roles within the cytoskeleton. You might be expected to divide them into three main types. And the main types are the actins, which form a network of very thin proteins just under the membrane. Some intermediate fibers, which are slightly thicker, but they're still only maybe 10 nanometers in diameter. We're not talking anything very substantial here. They form the main rigging of the cell. And there's also microtubules, and these form the little hair-like structures and tail-like structures you get on some cells. They're actually hollow, they're proteins, they're connected in with the cytoskeleton. So that these proteins that uh, maintain the shape of the cell, a bit like the rigging of a ship. And they come together, they form the cells together at a number of different types of junctions. And the first is where you've got two cells side by side and you want to pull them very close together, very tightly together, so that nothing can slip in the gap between the two cells. And these are known as tight junctions. And if you can imagine two sheets Uh, being stitched together like uh, in a quilt by proteins that are like stitches that go all the way through. This network of stitching is known as a tight junction. It's very important to hold those some cells very close together so that nothing can get through. For example, in in your, your gut. You don't want anything leaking out of your gut into the rest of your body. And these stitches... Through the membrane are strands of the actin cytoskeleton. The second type of junction are gap junction. And these are holes that go all the way through formed by proteins which group together into little groups of six. And then the six of them have a hexagonal hole that goes all the way through uh, two membranes joining two cells together. So that channels connect the the intercellular spaces of the two adjacent cells. I tend to think of gap junctions like pop rivets. They rivet the two cells together, but they put that little hole through the middle. The final type of cell junction that I want to talk about are desmosomes. Now these are a bit like the uh, Velcro of the cell world. They stick two cells together by having proteins that stick out through the membrane the anchor of the back by a little bit of that keratin cytostructure, but they stick out through both layers and end in a hook. And then one from the cell next door 
sticks out through its membrane anchored tightly by its cytoskeleton and it ends in a hook and the two lock together like velcro and they keep the cells from moving apart but they can of course unzip a bit flex on those hooks and have a little bit more movement than if they were anchored um, directly against one another by a tight junction alright so we've got our cells and we've stuck them together they've got gap junctions and they can communicate by swapping chemicals through the gap junctions with the cell next door to them in the case of plant cells we've got an additional barrier a cell wall separating the two adjacent cells then there's a little hole called a plasmodesmata through the wall to allow material from the cytoplasm of one cell to go into flow into the cytoplasm of another so cells can uh, plant cells can still effectively use gap junctions to swap chemicals between two adjacent cells another way cells communicate is that on the external surface of the cell membrane attached to some of the proteins there are carbohydrate uh, chains and these carbohydrates act as little flags and they allow cells to communicate to recognize one another this is how blood grouping for example works you can uh, your cells can recognize that your blood type A or blood type B because they can read the little flags on your blood cells and then the white blood cells know not to attack those blood cells so cells can communicate with cells that they come across through recognizing the flags attached to proteins and also by directly exchanging uh, chemical material through gap junctions more distant communication for cells is a little bit harder and I'm not going to go into any detail with that here I, I feel a separate podcast coming on so I'll close this podcast by saying that there's two main ways that cells communicate over distances the first one is by sending signals directly and these would be nerve cells and the second one would be by sending chemical messengers which are known as hormones and that concludes podcast 2 don't forget to look at the blog site where I'll post a number of diagrams which help to explain some of these junctions some of them are a lot easier to see to understand if you can actually see a picture and until next time Take care.